This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, March 20th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The president's proposal for dealing with opioids was more emotive than substantive, according to Cato senior fellow Jeffrey Singer. He argues that focusing enforcement on physicians and patients is the wrong approach. We discussed what he sees as the right approach today. What did you take away from the president's speech on opioids, which uh, the branding on it is uh, the crisis next door, which presumably refers to the fact that, you know, anybody in this in this country who may have received some sort of prescription for opioids could find themselves addicted at some point. Right. I was very disappointed, but not surprised. Um, Almost all the advice that the president is getting is probably uh, from the echo chamber that most of the policy world and media sees itself in. So everyone is completely uh, bought into this narrative that the opioid crisis, I like to call it the opioid problem, is the result of a doctor prescribing opioids to patients who then become hooked and become addicts and their lives are ruined. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And all that these people really need to do is look at the government, the government's own data. This their data. So, uh, for example, their data shows that since uh, 2010, the prescription of opioids, the high dose opioids, is down 41 percent. Um, their data shows that uh, the overdose rate, despite that, continues to climb. Uh, was up 20% last year over the previous year, but also the mix of, of, uh, the, of the opioids causing deaths has changed. So now the majority are from fentanyl and heroin, which are not prescribed by doctors uh, for patients in the outpatient setting. Uh, they look, overlook their numbers that show that over 90% of opioid overdoses have multiple drugs on board, including alcohol, methamphetamine, cocaine. In fact, New York City's latest statistics showed that uh, 46% of their opioid overdose uh, uh, victims uh, had cocaine on board. Typically, patients don't do cocaine with... Op- I usually tell my patients, now, don't do cocaine when I give you this Percocet for your post-op pain. Well, I'm being sarcastic. Uh, th- th- I'm, what I'm talking about is that we, we see a picture of the majority of uh, victims of overdoses are people... Uh, accessing drugs for non-medical purposes in the underground market, uh, which, of course, uh, is very dangerous because you don't know what you're getting. You don't know what the dose is. You don't know if it's been tainted. And that's, of course, uh, a a typical feature of prohibition. In prohibition, whether you're talking about alcohol prohibition or drug prohibition, when you get it through the underground market, you really can't be sure that it's safe. And so what they really need to be thinking about is that... The over, we have an overdose problem because of drug prohibition. They shouldn't be thinking about it as uh, being a result of doctors practicing medicine. Nevertheless, that's an easy target, so they keep doubling down on the same policies, and what's happening in the process is uh, patients are really suffering. Um, there's right now a national shortage in hospitals of uh, injectable opioids. I, I'm a surgeon, and I practice in hospitals. That's where I do most of my work. Um, and and depend, it's it's not even. So in some parts of the hosp- of the country, it's uh, it's worse than in others. In some hospitals, it's worse than others. But we're seeing situations where we have critically ill patients, uh, trauma patients, and severe pain. And we don't have uh, injectable opioids to give them. So uh, in, in some situations, we're uh, asking nurses 
uh, to mix vials of s smaller amounts of opioids that we happen to still have in stock to make it into a bigger vial. But that's dangerous because this is a more opportunity for human error than when it comes directly from the plant in the sort of prepackaged form. Uh, or we're, we're resorting to other drugs like uh, intravenous uh, Tylenol and, and anti-inflammatories in hopes of uh, alleviating the pain. But if they were so effective, we would be using them in the first place. We wouldn't have to make them our second line. So, and this is a result of the DEA ordering a 25% cutback in the production of opioids in the country last year and another 20% this year. So all of the focus has been on uh, reducing the ability of doctors to prescribe for their patients in pain. And yet the results are getting worse and worse every year. And it, it's clear that the non-medical users are just shifting over to what they can get their hands on, which is fentanyl and heroin, which is in many cases cheaper than diverted prescription opioids. But they keep doing the same thing. And then the other thing that was disappointing is that the president, uh, you know, called for, you know, increasing mandatory minimums and maybe uh, increasing the death sentences. You know, th this is a uh, emoting, in my opinion. Uh, I can understand uh, it's an expression of his frustration and well, he has a lot of popular appeal because the public is frustrated. But there are so many studies that have shown that lengths of sentences, mandatory minimums, death, death, death penalty is does not and it have any deterrent factor. It's so well known that it'd probably be hard to get another study published on the topic because it's like, uh, tell me something I don't know kind of thing. Uh, interestingly, just a few weeks ago, uh, Pew Research did a very comprehensive study of all 50 states uh, uh, and compared incarceration rates uh, and uh, sentences to the overdose rate. And they found, as one would expect, they found no a correlation between uh, sentences, incarceration, and overdoses. In fact, the state of Louisiana has the highest per capita incarceration rate in the country for drug-related crimes, and they have it's it, they have no discernible difference between their overdose rate and the, and the general rate in the country. If the president and the DEA and other agencies were to internalize what you just told me, what would be the uh, proper proposal to deal with this overdose crisis as you see it? Well, the proper proposal, and it was kind of given a, a little attention in his uh, address, is to focus on harm reduction. That's the only thing that's going to reduce deaths, aside from actually ending drug prohibition, which uh, politically I don't see happening in this country anytime soon. But the, uh, so, so the next best thing and what is practiced in most of the developed world and emphasized in most of the developed world is harm reduction. So the goal should be we want to see less people dying. We want to see less disease spread. Uh, so, for example, uh, we need to have proliferation of uh, needle exchange programs, uh, supervised injection facilities. These have been endorsed by the CDC, by uh, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, by the AMA. This prevents people from spreading disease with dirty needles and in, in the facilities. There are actually people around with uh, the antidote and naloxone in case somebody overdoses. So we need to, we need to allow for the proliferation of that. Many states, it's very difficult for these to get developed because of local laws that, uh, because of local laws that, that um, 
uh, prohibit uh, paraphernalia and things like that. So states need to change their laws to allow them to develop. Uh, we need to make it easier for healthcare practitioners, not just MDs and DOs, but uh, nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, to be able to uh, operate uh, medication-assisted treatment programs. That, that's going to require some regulatory reform. Where, and by medication-assisted treatment, I'm talking about people who are addicted being able to have their addiction substituted with a drug like methadone or buprenorphine, which uh, when taken orally will prevent uh, these very, very uh, painful uh, withdrawal symptoms, but uh, allow you to have a clear head and be able to function and, and have a productive life. And some people are maintained on those forever. Uh, others are gradually tapered off. Uh, we also need to change the laws regarding naloxone. Naloxone is still a prescription drug, and every state's come, come up with some sort of workaround to try to make it easier for people to get. But you still got to get, at the very least, you got to go to a pharmacist and ask the pharmacist for it. And uh, numerous studies have shown that because of the, uh, the taboo associated nowadays with being uh, on opioids, people are hesitant to go up to the pharmacist and explain to them why they need to have naloxone. And in some states, you can't get it unless you're a patient. So if they made it over the counter, like it is in Australia and in, in, in parts of Europe, then people can just go you know, take it off the shelf like they're buying some Tums and discreetly walk out with it. And it, so it'll be more distributed throughout the community. So when somebody is overdosing, they could be rescued. Uh, the FDA has already made it known that they think it's suitable to make naloxone over the counter. They're waiting for somebody to ask them. Well, you don't have to be asked. You could you could actually have Congress do something about that if they want to. Um, and then um, in, in general, uh, uh, on, on the state level, we could uh, see m states more and more pass uh, Good Samaritan laws where uh, 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 somebody who sees someone else overdosing who might have been using the drugs with that person uh, could be assured that they won't be in any way arrested uh, or penalized if they call a first responder to help with naloxone. Uh, and, and many states have passed them, but some states have passed them with loopholes so that uh, if the person who called the, the first responders is found to have a, a criminal record or uh, in possession of paraphernalia themselves, uh, they get arrested. Well, you know, that doesn't make the Good Samaritan law very effective because all it has to do is happen once before word spreads throughout the drug user community, don't call them because you'll end up getting arrested. So um, those are things that we can do that would go a long way towards, uh, towards reducing deaths and, and reducing disease. But just continuing to pound this hammer where we're locking people up and we're ruining. In fact, most of the people who are incarcerated for, non, uh, for, for, for drug-related crimes, the great majority of them are are, are small timers. Uh, the Pew study found that 11% of people in prison uh, for drug-related crimes are what they call uh, the big-time uh, dealers. 90%, roughly 90% are either uh, small-time street dealers or couriers or, or mules. And a lot of times these are young kids who, uh, you know, their lives are ruined once they go to the prison. And, uh, and these are people who didn't need to go to prison because they're immediately replaced with somebody else to do the same job. So it's, it's, a, it's what, what the, the president is doing is futile and he's getting bad advice. There was no mention of uh, cannabis in his speech. And uh, for anyone paying attention, 
the Jeff Sessions uh, has made it easier for uh, federal prosecutors in states that have made marijuana legal um, to take action against uh, uh, people who are dealing or uh, possessing uh, marijuana. So uh, why does that matter? Well, there are numerous studies now uh, showing that in states where marijuana has been available medically, uh, they've had generally a lower uh, opioid use rate and an opioid overdose rate. And uh, uh, several studies are also showing that uh, marijuana is actually effective in the treatment of chronic pain syndrome. Uh, several uh, examples have shown in the literature where people are using marijuana in conjunction with their opioid, uh, using a medical marijuana card, and they've been able to, on their own, reduce their opioid intake because of the effects of the marijuana. And, and some, some people, one study out of University of California, Berkeley, found that 80% of people doing that found that the marijuana actually was more effective in relieving their pain than the opioid was. So here we have a situation where, where cannabis has a real potential uh, to be uh, a, a sub, the president said he wants us to come up with substitutions for opioids to relieve pain. Well, here's something that might be a substitution for opioids to relieve pain that you, we have no knowledge of any ability to overdose on it. There's no known overdose from cannabis. And it's much safer, it's safer than alcohol. Um, so here we are trying to prohibit its use and uh, when states are moving one by one to make it legal. Uh, I think, of course, we should legalize it nationally, but at the very least, uh, the president should rein in uh, Attorney General Sessions and just tell him to leave the states alone to go their own way on this. Um, if, if, if the true goal is, again, coming up with alternatives to opioids for pain relief, here is a, a potential one. Jeffrey Singer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.